Chasing Leviathan is a podcast about pursuing truth, one big question at a time through the discipline of listening. Truth is too big to tame. But if we pay close attention, we might get the chance to glimpse something truly magnificent. So please join me in this pursuit, one week at a time. Hello and welcome to Chasing Leviathan. I'm your host, PJ Weary, and I'm here with Dr. Martin Glazier, uh, scientific collaborator in the Department of Philosophy at the University of Geneva. Uh, Dr. Glazier, wonderful to have you today. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, PJ. Uh, so today we're talking about your book, Essence, uh, which is in the Elements in Metaphysics uh, from uh, Cambridge University Press. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how you came to write this book. I mean, in some ways, uh, it feels like one of those really classical philosophical questions, right? What is the essence of something? So uh, what what drew you to write like this book and this subject matter? I, I actually got into it sort of through the through a different kind of topic, the topic of explanation. Um, so like, you know, from one of the one of the first sort of things I got interested in philosophy was this was sort of thinking about big ideas about explanations. I remember like, you know, in high school, I remember I was learning physics and kind of felt like I sort of had unlocked the key to the universe in some way. Like I remember walking around in my neighborhood in October or something like that and looking at the leaves falling down from the trees and thinking like, oh, this is all just, it's all classical mechanics. It's like, that that's all that's going on here. You know, I don't really, I, 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 I don't, I'm not so confident in that idea anymore, but I still <laughs> later became, was just really interested in like, what does that even amount to? Like, what is, what is the idea there? It's, it's not supposed to be that like, there really aren't any, any leaves falling or anything like that. And all there is is little particles. That, that seems crazy. Of course, there are these leaves and, and trees and everything else that I'm seeing. So it seems, I, I sort of think, well, the, I mean, the best idea, the uh, best version of the idea is that like, you know, everything, everything about the leaves and the trees and so on can be explained uh, in terms of what's going on at the fundamental physical level. So, but then, you know, what, what, what sort of explanation is that, that that we're talking about? It's not, it's not the, exactly the same kind of explanation that you might give of like, you know, why did this window shatter? Oh, because, you know, a, a rock hit it or something like that. But that's, that's a kind of causal explanation. That doesn't seem to be like what's going on here if you explain you know, why is the leaf moving this way in terms of the way the particles are moving? There's a kind of tighter, tighter connection there, or at least at any rate, a different kind of connection. Um, and, you know, I think it's this kind of connection or form of explanation that a lot of people have been getting interested in philosophy, in, in philosophy lately. Um, and it's something that I then sort of spent a lot of time doing research on in graduate school and afterwards. Sometimes people call it grounding explanation. Uh, the idea is that it's supposed to be a kind of a, the same kind of explanation that you might give of uh, why uh, why a, a war progressed in a certain way by talking about the actions of the individuals that made up the war. Why you know why a cup of coffee is hot by talking about the motions of the molecules that make up the coffee, and somehow it's that that's the kind of explanation that's involved in this picture. So I got I was really interested in that and doing a lot of thinking about that. 
Uh, but I started to think that may maybe philosophers are getting a bit too going a bit too overboard with this kind of explanation and thinking that it was sort of the only kind of explanation there was, or or maybe the only the only kind of explanation other than causal explanation. Um, I started to think that you know there are other kinds of explanation even within metaphysics, which was the area of philosophy that I was mostly working in. Uh, there's something else going on besides just this grounding type of explanation. So one, one example of another kind of explanation I started to think was like a kind of explanation that can be given by the essences of things. So we could explain, you know, why, why, is there, uh, why does it always turn out that whenever I have water, there's some hydrogen atoms in there? Why is that? Well, it seems like the answer is like, well, water is, by its very nature, H2O, and that's why no sample of water can be entirely free of hydrogen atoms. Or, you know, why, why is it that you can never make a robot cat? I mean, you can make a robot that uh, looks like, behaves like a cat and maybe looks like a cat, but it's not going to be a cat, and why is that? Well, it seems like the answer is that, you know, what a cat is, essentially, or by its very nature, is a certain kind of animal, and, and so you, that's why you can't make a robot cat. So, <laughs> So I, I started thinking, okay, this is, this is another important kind of explanation, but it's a kind of explanation that seems to be given by essences. And so, you know, what, what are essences? Uh, what are we talking about here when we say that water is by its nature H2O or cats are by their nature animals? And so uh, that's how I got interested in the topic of the book. I wanted to try to understand what was going on there. Who are some uh, philosophers that you are pulling from for uh, these kind of discussions? Well, the, you know, the, the topic's uh, been discussed for a really long time in philosophy. It's just one of the oldest discuss, uh, topics that have been discussed in metaphysics. So, uh, you know, even uh, Plato and, and, and even more so Aristotle said a lot of things about essence. Um, in this book, I'm mostly focusing on more recent work. Um, partly it's a matter of competence. That's the, the stuff I'm more familiar with. Um, it's also just kind of to understand where the discussion is at right now. Um, and so these days, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of people writing on the topic, but, uh, part of the reason that I was, that I, another part of the reason why I got into it, I think, is that, uh, my advisor in graduate school, philosopher named Kit Fine, uh, was one of the biggest contributors to, or to people that have developed this topic. So he plays a large role in this, in this book. Um, but there's some, there's other figures like E.J. Lowe, uh, Bob Hale, um, Catherine Kuzlicki. Uh, and uh, many other philosophers who have had interesting things to say about this topic. Gotcha. And so for you, you a large part of this book, I mean, these are very short, which, you know, for some people, they look at the, the price and they're like, well, it's a short book. I'm like, yeah, but you get a short book and you can actually read it. So um, the main, uh, one of the main parts of your argument is the distinction between active and latent facts. Can you uh, share a little bit about, um, not a little bit, I understand that's probably like the key point, right? If you don't understand that, I don't think anyone can understand really your argument, right? Can you uh, discuss that distinction? Yeah, so I was, uh, you know, I wanted to try to, the aim of the book was sort of, um, partly the aim of the book was just to introduce the topic and get people up to speed with what is going on now in the debate around essence. Um, but I wanted to kind of do it in, in a coherent way and not just say like, oh, here's this thing about essence and here's this other thing. So I started to think, what is what is a really interesting question about this that it seems to me to have been kind of under underexplored? And there's this idea that I think you can, 
sort of question that you can extract, even from some of the, the oldest work on the topic, even going back to the ancient philosophers. And the, the question is something like, you know, are our facts about essence or our essences inside our everyday world, or do they somehow lie outside the world? Now that's like, just put it like that, it's very hard to know what how to make sense of this. But I thought that maybe one way to try to clarify this idea would be in terms of this this distinction between active and latent facts. So active facts, I'm thinking, are these are just kind of like facts that say how things are. Like, I'm talking to you on a podcast. It's cloudy outside. Um, you know, whatever. Uh, Hamburg is 300 kilometers from Berlin. Um, Tokyo is the capital of Japan, and so on. Just all these kind of facts about how things are. Those, those I'm going to call active. And then it could sort of contrast those to facts about how things were or how they will be or how they could have been, or how they must be. So, you know, facts about what happened in the past, facts about what will happen in the future, facts like about how things could have gone, like maybe COVID didn't have to become a global pandemic, certain other th different things that happened 2019. That's a sort of fact about what, what could have happened, but didn't. Uh, then facts about what must be the case, like, uh, you know, what goes up must come down or things like that, uh, energy is conserved. Um, these I'm thinking are, they seem to be different in character from the, the active facts that I talked about before. They're not t telling you about how things are, um, but sort of about, uh, how they were, or they will be, or they might be, or they must be. And that's kind of, so we could, we could then try to, try to think more about how to, how to exactly make that distinction precise, but I was thinking there's a kind of, uh, just intuitive distinction that you can grasp there. And then we can ask, okay, which side of the distinction do essence facts go on? Um, are they kind of like these facts about the past or the future or different possibilities? Or are they facts about how things are um, right now? And so that that's, uh, yeah, so that was kind of the, the question that I tried to frame much of the book around. And to see how, how so much of what other other philosophers, work that other philosophers have done on essence might shed light on this issue. And uh, the exact uh, example escapes me. You were talking about um, latent facts and you were talking about possible facts, you know, um, versus what seemed to, oh, what goes up, what must come down. That's the one that you used. Is that's that would not be considered an active fact. That would be a latent fact. Yeah, I was thinking that these facts in the second category, I'm going to call them latent facts. Yes. Yeah. How, how I, to me though that and I, I'm I, you know I'm just looking at it. Uh, so I'm trying to understand why those aren't in active facts. Why like I, obviously the I can understand the difference between like like uh, if statements right like you know like but uh, when you're talking about these. Uh, these almost like principles, like, you know, oh, yeah. what goes up must go down. Why, why is that in, why are those in latent facts? Yeah, I'm thinking that, well, one, one idea I kind of like is this, uh, this idea that the latent facts are somehow pointing beyond the way things are. So they're saying, it's saying what goes up must come down. It's not just talking about how things in fact are, but like, no matter what happens, this is a law of nature or something like that. You know, things have to obey this law. So okay, kind and of, so, yeah. uh, it, the like if something is falling, that would be an active fact. 
the fact that if something goes up and then it falls, uh, and as a rule is okay. Yeah, Sorry. the fact that it's it must <laughs> fall. That's yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Fact. yeah. Gotcha. All right. Sorry, I was I was struggling with that one because I was like, I mean, that's the way things are. Like, if I drop things, they like, okay. I'm I'm tracking now. Got it. No, um, I, I it is it is confusing because I, and that's why. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, that was something I struggled with even in coming up with the terminology because there. I think I was originally calling them like dormant facts, but I don't. That that seems bad because. Because they have these real effects and like they, they tell you something about the way things are. Uh, so then I switched to this other word, which is perhaps just more obscure. But <laughs> hopefully oh, no man, terminology. Yeah. At least you used words that don't have like, I mean, when you say essence, I mean, you want to talk about a very debated and like, like word that's all over the place throughout philosophy, right? Like in terms of definition. Um, <laughs> at least like active and latent, I haven't seen that a lot. You know what I mean? So I appreciate that. I'm like, okay, if I understand your definition, I can use this. And most of the time people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, so, uh, also just wanted to mention, not as a criticism of the book, but I was disappointed that you are not in fact going to give us the essence of golf, um, as I was going through, uh, but that was a great first example um, can you talk us through uh, that case and um, maybe as even a, a case study in common misconceptions that people have about essence or common missteps people make? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a funny example of how like this kind of seemingly abstract philosophical concept comes up in, in something that's, uh, you know, has at least some relevance to people's uh, people's lives. So this was actually a Supreme Court case uh, from from around the turn of the century. And uh, and basically what happened was there, there was this guy, he was a he was a golf coach, but he had a certain disability, which meant that, uh, you know, was he wasn't really able to walk, uh, walk the golf course. He had to use a golf cart. OK, so there was a organizer of golf tournaments in the U.S. PGA Tour, which prohibited people from using golf carts. He said, if you want to compete in this tournament, you have to walk the course. That's their rule. So he sued them and said, look, I have a disability. You have you're legally required to accommodate this. I can't. I can't uh, walk the course. And this eventually got all the way to the Supreme Court. So you had <laughs> these justices weighing in on this. And um, the uh, opinion of the court was written by uh, John Paul Stevenson. He basically said, look, uh, I mean, he had a number of arguments that he gave to, to support the ruling. But one of them was that this uh, it's not inconsistent with the essence of golf uh, to allow someone like this person to uh, to use a golf cart. He said, no, look, the, you know, the essence of golf, like, what well, you know, what if we had to say what, what golf really is? He said, well, it's using <laughs> something like using clubs to cause a ball to progress to a hole or something like this. <laughs> and, and, you know, it doesn't it doesn't involve walking. That's not you know, that may be something that people do a lot of the time when they're playing golf. Maybe it's even something that would be nice to do, but it's not part of what golf is. OK, so then. You know, the, the dissent was written by Antonin Scalia and, you know, he basically said, I mean, as far as I can make out, his response was that uh, this stuff about the essence of golf is nonsense because it really we can't make any sense of this idea uh, that there is an essence of golf. Um, and, you know, his argument is not very good, I think. Uh, one of one of the things he says is that, you know, games, um, a game like golf or anything else, um, the, none of the rules to that game can be essential. Um, because, um, there's, there's no sort of no 
purpose that the game is serving. The purpose of the game is only to have fun. Um, and so since purpose of the game is just to have fun, nothing can be essential to it. It seems like he was thinking of the idea that like, you know, you say that something's essential in the sense that you need it to do something. Like a passport is essential if you want to cross a border. You've got to have a passport. You need it for that purpose. But I don't think that's what that's the idea that Stevens had in mind when he was saying that, you know, walking isn't essential to golf and, you know, using clubs is or whatever he thinks. Um, it's not that it's not the idea is not that you need you need this for some purpose, but rather this is that what golf is, um, you know, centrally involves using a club, but doesn't centrally involve walking. So I think that what was going on here was that there was a kind of confusion between different senses of essence. So there absolutely is this sense of essence, meaning like what you need for some purpose. Um, but there's also this more philosophical sense about what something is. What is the, what is the nature of this activity or of this or of this thing or of this uh, property or whatever? And that's the sense of essence. That's the kind of essence that I wanted to talk about in this book. Absolutely. And uh, you then move on from these active and latent facts. Uh, and then you talk about essence in regards or as it. Um, uh, I just talked to someone who talked about concepts tangling together. So that's the word that keeps coming to mind. It, it gets entangled with other philosophical concepts. What are some of those other philosophical concepts and how do they both illuminate or sometimes confuse the issue? Yeah, I mean, so I, I think it's actually one of the most, one of the best ways to understand the notion of essence better is to just understand how it connects to these other ideas in philosophy. Um, so some of them have kind of already come up in this conversation, like the, the idea of the definition of something, like maybe like golf, like what golf is. So Stevens had his definition about using clubs to cause a ball to progress to a hole. And you could say that's an attempt, maybe it's wrong, an attempt to give the essence of golf. Um, and, you know, we might say that maybe maybe that's also what's going on in the case of something like uh, the example of water, which I brought up before. You know, you see like water is by its very nature, the certain chemical compound, H2O. That's the essence of water. There's a way in which you can see that as a kind of definition of water, telling you what water is. Um, so that's a concept that seems to be very closely connected to essence. And a very, very related to that is the idea of something's identity, like the the identity of water is this chemical compound H2O. Or, um, and, uh, you know, yeah, the identity of, uh, maybe we can even talk about the identity of a person. Um, some philosophers have thought that uh, who your parents are is essential to you, or at least sort of your, your, your material origins. Um, so if we want to say like what uh, somebody is, like what... Uh, what, what is the identity of uh, George W. Bush? We're going to have to talk about his father, George H. W. Bush. So those are th those are some concepts that are closely connected to essence. It's also seems it also seems to be linked to um, one concept that's sort of loomed very large in some much of the recent discussion of essence is uh, it's called modality. So this is a way of referring to ne necessity and possibility. Uh, what's what has to be the case and what could have been the case. Again, we've already kind of. This has already come up a little bit. Um, but it seems like if something is essentially a certain way, it seems like it has to be that way. So say, say I'm essentially human. That's, that's part, of, part of what it is to be me, is to be a human being. 
Well, then that seems to, to show that I couldn't have been non-human. I couldn't have been a cat or a fried egg or something like that. That's because it's part of my essence to be human. So there seems to be that kind of connection um, that if you're essentially some way, then you have to be that way. And some philosophers have thought that actually we could use this kind of link or that this link is so strong that it could allow us to actually give, give a theory of the very notion of necessity. This is something that philosophers have been puzzled about for a long time. You know, we say these things like, you know, what, what goes up must come down or like, I have to be human. I couldn't be a cat. But like, what, um, what does that really mean? And how, how is, how is that? Uh, uh, yeah, what does that, what does that amount to? And what, what makes those things true? Well, what does idea, it mean for something to be necessary? Yeah. What does it mean for something to be necessary? I mean, it's sort of like, it seems like we have to go beyond the way things in fact are, um, because we're talking about how they have to be, even if things were in fact different, these other necessary truths would still hold. So one idea that people have had is that this could be explained by talking about the essences of things, that like, in fact, all, everything that's necessary, whenever you find a necessary truth, uh, like, well, let's set aside the physical uh, sort of laws of nature type of things, like what's, what goes up, what's, what goes up must come down, but say something like Martin is human, Whenever you find a necessary truth like that, there's always something's essence that kind of gives rise to that necessary truth. So in this case, it'd be my essence. My essence is to be human. And that's why um, I couldn't have uh, failed to be human. And same thing with, with you know, water. Water has to be H2O, and that's because it is essentially H2O. And so people have thought maybe you could give a whole a theory of all of uh, modality this way. Um, yeah, some other, oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask, I mean, this, uh, I think a lot of this is where we start getting into, because uh, the, the phrase doesn't make sense like that something's within or without the world. Like immediately you're like, what's the world then? If it's without the world, wouldn't that, you know, all these weird questions. But when you start talking about uh, necessity and the fact that this goes beyond even those things that are, and this is where you get an often to very, very long tangents in philosophical history, right? And so I just wanted to bring, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean? This is where you have the forms, this is where you have all that stuff. Yeah, for Come sure. On. Yeah, people have been kind of getting confused and wondering about this for a long time. But, you know, yeah, maybe this is a good point to try to connect this back to the active latent thing or are they are essences inside or outside of the world. You know, maybe with this connection to necessity, you can start to see why this is so, such a hard question to answer because it seems like, you know, if you like the idea that, you know, the reason I, I it's necessary that I'm human is because of something about my essence, that I'm essentially human. And that's starting to make it seem like these, you know, just like when I say that it's necessary that I'm human, I have to kind of go beyond the way things in fact are. I have to talk about some, sort of what's outside of this world. Well, anything that explains that is also going to maybe have to be outside of the world. You might start to think in that direction. Okay, but not, not that that's, uh, you know, obviously true or something, but you might you might start to wonder if that's how things have to go. But then on the other hand, you know, if I've got a glass of water here on the table in front of me, and then I can just say like, okay, there's some water here in front of me on the table. I'm just telling you how things in fact are. And then what's water? Well, <laughs> what's this stuff? It's H2O. Am I just, aren't I just kind of continuing to say how things are? So that starts to make it seem like, no, this isn't about what's outside the world at all, whatever that's supposed to mean. This is just a mundane fact about how things really are. Um, so yeah, you know, th these I th 
this is one example of how I think thinking about these kinds of connections between essence and these other concepts uh, can help bring clarity to this sort of questions that may have initially seemed really obscure. And it also brings us back full circle to you talking about explanation, right? Because like at the end of the day, when we talk about necessity and which very is very closely tied to this idea of identity, it's like, look, the only reason I want to know if this is water or not is because I want to know if I can drink it, right? Like that's <laughs> like when I talk about explanations, they're grounded, uh, you know, even as we're talking about, uh, you know, something like the, the golf thing, which actually, you know, that made a difference in that person's life. Um, yeah. And, and we, we start to face a lot of this with upcoming bioethical questions. So actually like for people, this might seem super abstract, but, um, there's a lot of work going on with, uh, the mind uploading project. My editor is actually doing his master's in philosophy and he's writing a paper on the mind uploading project. And, and it's like things like, okay, if we copy over someone's brain states into a computer, now you have a person and you have a, you have a computer with all the same memories, like, is that is is that is that memory state if it's functioning in a in a computer brain if i can put it that way is that a person right and i know you're familiar with these but it's like it it doesn't seem like a big deal until you start running into some of this stuff and you're like no 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 that there's two of them and there can't be two of one thing you know and it it's, it gets really yeah really there's that kind of problem and and there is also questions of of essence that arise there too because you know you might have might have thought like what am I? Like, what is my nature? Well, uh, you know, maybe one thing is like, um, you know, I'm a kind of biological organism. That's, that's part of what I am. Um, well, if that's right, then whatever gets uploaded into a computer, that can't be me. That's not a biological organism. It's uh, something else. So then you have to think, well, well, maybe I was wrong about the idea that I am essentially a biological organism. Maybe that was wrong. Or maybe it's wrong that I could survive by uploading my brain to a computer. <laughs> Yeah. I, anyways, I was just thinking of of ways that you know, as as we talk about this, like uh, it's it's one of those abstract questions that just has its tendrils in so many different things. So, sorry, I'm just like a lot yeah, of. I, uh, I think that's neurons right firing for me. I I think you're right about that. I think it's kind of like it shares that feature with a, a lot of many other kind of debates, and especially in metaphysics, because they tend to be about or a lot of times they can be about these kind of basic concepts that are sort of very deeply woven into our thought and action all the time. And we would just, you know, even if you've never heard the word essence, you know, you have the idea of like what something is. Um, right. And you, you may use that to think about, you know, how you could change it or what kinds of changes you couldn't perform to it and things like that. Um, so because of that, I think that, these questions about essence really do kind of in a way shed light on everything because they're so deeply in, involved in all of our ordinary thinking. I mean, and that, that it's so closely tied to definition. And if words, you know, like words start to have meaning, right? Like it, it just gets very slippery. And I, I feel that even as we talk, right? Like it's like, um, uh, all of a sudden words like that we, we think we know start slipping out from between our fingers. Um, yeah, I was gonna... <laughs> well, that, that can be a problem in philosophy. <laughs> uh, man, I had such, oh, I was gonna ask you, uh, you mentioned briefly, and, um, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, so feel free to uh, uh, 
move on in a different direction. But you talked a little bit about um, how time affects this. Uh, do you mind expounding on that a little bit? Because that I, I understand you had to, you know you have a certain amount of pages you have to work inside of, but that part really interested me as you were you were talking about like uh, time uh, A theory time and B theory time. Oh, yeah. If correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I was thinking that. Well, let, let me just let me talk first about what, about, but just that idea on its own terms, and then I'll, and then I'll connect it to what I was saying. So sure, yeah. Um, there's this really interesting question in in philosophy of time about, um, you know, does does the world mi- so okay? Um, we all the time distinguish between like you know things that happened in the past, things that are happening now, things that happen in the future. This is ubiquitous. But you know what's kind of the status of that distinction that we're making? Is that just sort of something about something about me, like or about us? Like we happen to be located at a certain time, say, and so we just use we say that things past. It just means it came before us. We say that something's future. It just means that it comes after us. But there's nothing objective there. Um, it's kind of like saying. Uh, that certain things are here, like there's a laptop here that I'm speaking into, um, you know, and some other things are not here. Um, but that's not any kind of objective difference. It's just like about how things are relative to me. When I say that it's here, that's just something like, you know, it's near me. So is past, present and future like that, where it's just about kind of how things relate to us? Or is it sort of more objective, like there's really a, a basic fact, a basic distinction between uh, things that are happening now and things that already happened and things that will happen. Like maybe the things that are happening now are more real than things that already happened. Uh, things like that, you know, um, things, events in the past, like Caesar crossing the Rubicon, you know, they once had this kind of reality and vivid quality, but now they they don't anymore. So is it, so which of these ideas is correct? Um, this is a debate that has been carried on in philosophy with really unhelpful names, like um, uh, the A theory gets used for the the, the view that uh, that there is a basic or a fundamental distinction, objective distinction between past, present, and future, and then the the view on which there's no dis- no basic distinction and it's just kind of uh, all about how things relate are related to us. That gets called the B theory. Um, so I, I I started bringing I brought this up because. Um, it's kind of relevant to this active versus latent distinction because I was using when I when I gave you the examples of the of the different facts, you know, I said, well, here's an example of a latent fact, like facts about the past, like uh, you know, I was asleep uh, ten hours ago or whatever. That's a latent fact, but you know, that's uh, being a little sloppy because it's only a it's only a latent fact if you have this kind of a theory view where you think there's a real important objective distinction between the past and the present. I mean, if you think that, then it does seem right to say that. Well, the fact that I was asleep ten hours ago that's that's not really about how things are. Uh, that's about kind of this sort of ghostly realm of how things used to be and they're no longer that way or whatever. Okay, but so that seems like an okay example of a latent fact if you have that view. What if you're instead one of these people that thinks, no, there's no objective distinction between the past, the present, and the future. It's only, it's like here versus elsewhere. Well, then it seems like the fact that I was asleep 10 hours ago is not, uh, it's no less real, uh, no less about how things are than the fact that I'm talking to you. Um, These are both kind of 
equivalent or on a par on a level playing field. So that's an additional like layer of complexity that you have to deal with when you're thinking about active versus latent because you have to think, okay, well, how would I, you know, how would I think about this if I thought that the present was special in this way? And how would I think about it if I thought the present wasn't special? Yes. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I, it's a lot of stuff to take in in the first few pages. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> As I was walking through this and I'm, I'm tracking through and I'm thinking about it. Um, how does that play into things like uh, modality and necessity and explanation? The like this thing about, does that the, the does, thing about time? The yes, when when you does does time affect uh, I kind of at that intersection of some of those concepts and time and and uh, essence. It feels like it feels like that would make a difference, but I could be wrong. I'm sure there are. I'm sure it does. <laughs> let, let, <laughs> instead of saying yeah, it's not, sorry, that was that was a very vague. Let's take ne like necessity. Like I'm thinking about like. Uh, it changed like, like, so if we took at the A theory of time, the B theory of time, it seems like past facts wouldn't have to be necessary, but they would be necessary in A time, but they would be in B time. So there, okay. So part of what's, part of what's uh, difficult in talking about this is that, that the very word necessity, it has so many meanings. So, right. um, you know, we've been talking about one kind of necessity that seems sort of really objective, like. Uh, water must be H2O. It's somehow like that, at least it feels like that's that's nothing about how I'm thinking about it. That's like about reality or something like that. There's other kinds of necessity that don't have that character. Like if I say, um, well, it must be that uh, the climate is getting warmer. And maybe I'm saying that after I've read a bunch of scientific papers or something. And what I mean is something like, you know, given the evidence that I've seen, you know, this this uh, this must be true given everything that I know now. That's something more about my knowledge. It's not like necessary in that completely objective sense. Like, of course, I can imagine a possible world where the climate is not getting warmer, but it's necessary given what given the facts that I know. So that's one example of how there can be these different senses of necessity. And there is also this and there is this uh, yet another sense of necessity that seems <laughs> to be really closely connected to to history. So this is a sense in which you can't change the past. So whatever's, you know, what's done is done and you can't change that now. In that, in some sense, it's necessary. I can't do anything about it. I can't go back and make, if I did something I regret, I can't change it now. It's necessary. Um, so that, there's that kind of sense of necessity. Um, and one question is, you know, how does that relate to this really object, this other, uh, or this objective kind of necessity we were talking about before, the sense in which water must be H2O? Is it? Is it the same? And I don't think it's exactly the same because, you know, um, maybe, uh, um, you know, like I, I, I went to uh, went to grad school in philosophy. That's in the past. And uh, that can't you know, that's that's necessary in this historical sense. Nothing I can do now can change that. But it's not necessary in this other sense, because, of course, I can imagine a different world where I did something completely different and never went to grad school. So it seem, doesn't seem like it's that kind of necessity. Then on the other hand, <laughs> it seems more objective or more about the world than this thing about what I know, you know, the sense in which, it, you know, given what I, given the facts I know, it must be that the climate is getting warmer. 
you know, that's about me and what I know. This thing about um, the past can't be changed, that, that seems more objective. That's, that's not about what I know. That's more real, uh, more, out, more, yeah, more worldly somehow. So, so and I so think, uh, can get, you know, it's very interesting to think about how, the, how these things connect. And thank you. I appreciate your patience as, I, as I, I work through this. And I realized part of the reason I kind of lost the example that I was thinking of when I, when I asked that question, I'm thinking about memories and identity, right? Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about the past and we're talking about what is necessary, and a lot of times what people, when they say, this is who I am, they may talk about being a biological organism. That is, <laughs> I know right now, I'm sure there are people listening like, where did that question come from? But I like that that idea of historic like i see yes. some merging between in between identity and essence and things that we consider essences that are both necessary in the strongest sense like if we can distinguish between the that uh water's h2o and that and that historical sense right i mean if we even if we talk about social construction and what are like oh that's the essence of something and it is like uh if if that makes sense like um like, I mean, yeah. we talk about what a dollar bill is or something like that, something that is only given its value by the, by society. Does that make sense? Um, it does, definitely. Um, I mean, there's so many interesting things that what you just said raises. I mean, one, one, one thing that's really interesting is this thing about who I am. And there's something that sounds so bizarre that you say, when you say like, well, who I am is a biological organism. That's sort of like, if someone said that to you, you think they're insane. And I think, right. I think there, there was a reason for that, which is that you, the phrase, you know, this is who I am. We don't usually use that to talk about essence in the, in the sense of this book. Um, I think it's more like, you know, we'll use that's like, that's like who I am as a person or what makes me the person that I am. And that might involve things like my experiences in the past or like my, or maybe my values, uh, my aspirations for the future, my personality, things like that. And that, that does seem to be something that's like very important to me. And then I think it's probably not essential in the, in the sense that I'm talking about, because it seems like at least for many of those things, certainly for like things I've done in my life or maybe even my, my values, I can, I can imagine a possible scenario in which I didn't do any of those things and maybe had completely different values if I, you know, I had very different experiences in life. Um, so even these things that are very important to me don't perhaps are not part of my essence. Now, the thing about social, social essences or social construction is also extremely interesting because uh, that's something that uh, I wish I had had the space to talk about in the book. Um, that's a, that's a case where you might start to really be pushed towards um, the inside the world view, the view on which essence facts are active, because it seems like something I do or something we do in society, like we are the you know we create dollar bills or we create institutions, um, things like that. Um, Something we do somehow gives these things the essences they have. Maybe if that's if that's right, then it seems like uh, you know it depends on it's depending on things that happen that we do, and so uh, you might think that means that it can't it can't be it can't be outside the world in the sense of being latent or or anything like that. It's, it's up to us. I definitely feel full of kind of going back to you know you started in different types of explanation right, and so that's I think. 
the core of that who I am thing in the same way that we would look at someone. Um, and I, I'm sure like uh, for the very, a lot of the people listening to this probably grew up where the nerdy studied types, right? It, this is that kind of podcast, right? And it's like the kind of, the kind of kid like, you know, you start talking about leaves falling off the tree and they start going, well, actually, when you look at Newtonian mechanistic, you know, <laughs> physics and people are like, you're crazy. Like, that's not that's not an explanation. That's weird. Right. And so when we say things like and I think that's the distinction in, in which the essence of this book and what we often um, gets uncomfortable for people talking about, like, well, this is who I really am. And they're like when they think essence, like this is who I really am. And it's things like family and, and those kind of things, which actually <laughs> Well, might I be a bad go ahead. I mean, that's I mean, as I say, these are things that are very important, they're very important to me and, and to everybody. Uh so I don't wanna uh denigrate them at all. It's just uh that there that's I don't think it's part part of this concept of essence, but it seems like an extremely important concept to understand. I mean, it's not it's not so clear like what how exactly to understand this idea of who I am or you know, or, yeah, what makes what makes you the person that you are. Um I think that yes, that's something worth thinking about a lot more. But I don't know whether the answer will come from thinking about essence in the sense of this book. That makes sense. The um, and maybe this one would kind of bring together some of the a lot of the questions we've been talking about. You'd mentioned that some people want to define uh, people in terms of the parents that they had, and now that does seem historical. But that also seems uh, that does seem necessary, or they are attempting to be necessary in the strongest sense. What do you think of that definition of a human being? Do you find that um, uh, valuable? And do you do you think that that explanation works? Yeah, I mean, I I, I guess I um, have some sympathy for that idea. I mean, maybe it's not a. I mean, a definition maybe should tell you not just some of the essence of something, but all of it to tell you like everything that's essential. And I don't know if, I don't think it's, that's a saying everything that's essential. Um, but yeah, I, I do, I am kind of attracted to the idea that in general, the origins of things are essential to them. Um, so it's not just people. Um, it could be like material objects too, like a table that was made from a certain chunk of wood or block of wood. Um, you know, if you consider another table that looks exactly like it, but was made from some other chunk of wood, you might say, well, that's that's not that table. Um, it's a different table. That table can only be made from that chunk of wood. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah. So I, I think that, uh, uh, so I think you find this pattern, not just for people, but also for material objects. Um, and that is kind of uh, what I, get into in the last part of the book uh, is to think that maybe maybe this could sort of this idea could hold the key to a kind of a kind of explanation of of essences and sort of why where the essences of things come from um, why they have the essences they do it, it has to do with their origins and perhaps that pushes us in the direction of thinking that the essences are come are inside the world that they're active because they're the result of the origin, the, the origins of things, which is a historical process that goes on in this world. One that was, I was going to ask next was kind of, you have that summation of essential facts are explained by the origins of things. Right. And that, which, uh, and you talk about, uh, facts are active. 
how does necessity play into the fact that active facts are uh, key to, I don't say necessary, but are key to explaining essences? <laughs> Sorry, can you, can you say that again? Are, well, I think one thing, so what's the relationship between active and necessary? Yeah, so I was thinking that facts about what's necessary are not active. Yeah, they have this okay. kind of character of uh, of reach, reaching beyond the way things are to sort of other other possible worlds. So they're not active. And so as we look at, uh, and I'm I'm taking from you know what you said a little bit. Essentialist facts are explained by the origins of things. Um, let me see if I can find the exact quote. Uh, because I don't, not because I'm trying to, to pin you down here. It's just because I want to make sure I'm not saying it wrong. Sure. Um, uh, essentialist facts are explained by the origins of things to the conclusion that such facts are active. Yeah. Um, can you explain that statement to me? <laughs> well, so this is what I was, this is what I was saying. So, I mean, origins, that's something that happens in this world and you know we can we can originate things we can create things yes. and we have origins and all that's that's a, nothing sort of otherworldly about this right, so right. I'm if that if these suppose it's right that these facts explain why things have the essences they do then that seems like that might be a good reason to think that essentialist facts are active because they're explained by these facts about how things originate which are active. They're just about how things go in, in this world. Forgive me. I, and for some reason, I think this is just a mental block for me. Can you give me an example? Yeah. Um, so, you know, take the table example. So I was saying, you know, maybe you think that the, this table essentially comes from a certain block of wood. So why does it essentially come from this, this block of wood? Why is that kind of part of what the table is? Well, maybe the answer is because that's how the table was made. The table was made from this block of wood, and that's why this is part of what it is or part of what's essential to it is that it came from this block of wood. So that's a reason why you might think that the facts about the essence of the table are explained by its origin. And look, you know, the facts about the origin of the table, they seem to be kind of active, just like the just like the facts about, you know, I'm talking to you, it's cloudy, um, you know, these cities are so many miles apart from one another or whatever, this table originated from this block of wood. It's a fact of the same category. It's an active fact. So when you say, and this is where, as we're talking about active facts, when you say originated, that changes it from a fact that's in the past. Right, because you're when you're saying originated, it is an active fact. Well, okay, you're getting at uh, sort of a subtlety to this argument. So, um, okay. yeah, um, it kind of so it depends on this question about time that we were talking about earlier. Okay, I, that's that's what I was hoping you'd say. So I am tracking with you. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, that's why, like this, I, I this argument sort of. I feel like it has it has some initial appeal, but then when you really try to develop it, it turns out that uh, you know there's like a lot of complications that arise. Yeah, and one mm -hmm. of them is this thing about about these different views of time. Got um, it. Because if you thought that if you're one of these guys that thinks the present is special, then the facts about how things originate are not active. There's other they're, they're these latent facts, and so so we can't say that anymore. So you're well, right. Wouldn't the fact that it did originate, but well, wouldn't wouldn't you be able if you stated it that way? be different from 
the fact that it uh, of the past itself. Does that make sense? So what is the second I, thought? Is that the fact? Yeah. Is the fact you have, you have, you have like, when you talk about, so we're talking about the wood in the table. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's so slippery. You have, you have the wood in the table and it's like, um, you're talking about the wood in the past and that's not an active fact. But when you're like, the wood in this table originated from somewhere in the past. Like if you're talking about what kind of wood it is, would that be active? And I think I this is where I can... answer, I'm thinking the answer depends on your view about this question about time that we talked about before, this A versus B theory thing. If you, because to say that the table originated from this block of Got wood, it. that if you, if you think that the, if you think that the present is sort of more real than the past, the present is special, then you won't think that's an active fact because it's not It's not like these facts about how things are, these other facts. Those are all facts about the present. But instead, if you had this other view on which the past and the present are on an evil, even playing field, then the fact that the table originated from this piece of wood, well, that's just as real as the fact that I'm talking to you now. Okay, so I, and I, I, I think I understand that. And maybe what I'm, maybe it's just is just a dead end. But it feels like the explanation does exist in the present, and so the explanation could be active, whereas the actual history. <laughs> I may, maybe that's maybe that's just too. I'm, I'm maybe I'm bar, I'm like in a dead end there. Uh, and maybe I, I what I'm wondering is if there's a way to state the or, the origins of the table in a way that satisfies the uh, I believe the A theory of time. Uh, it's, let's see. So, and that might just be like a really, <laughs> I, for some reason, and I, this might just be because I, I, I'm just thinking about this for the first time, uh, in many ways, I, uh, <laughs> I, that might just be a complete dead end, but for some reason, I feel like you, there, there's a way of doing that, but that might be the classic, uh, Wittgenstein fly stuck in the glass bottle. I think I see a solution, but I'm running into the glass, like, <laughs> You know, there's, I think there, there's always a way. And so I think that there, there, I think that there, I think that there is, um, uh, what's coming to mind is something that would, it'd be, it'd be very weird in some other ways, but it's this, it's this, uh, view that has been, been discussed the past couple of decades called fragmentalism. And the idea is that we, let's see. So, okay. So the atheist the, here's here's a way to think about it. The atheist wants to take to be special facts in the present tense, if you want to put it that way. So they like the facts like I am talking to you. And they think you know that that's those are really active. Those are real. Those are real. And then they don't like facts in the past tense, or you know they think they're less less real or something like that. Well, on the according to this view called fragmentalism, we say that well actually that's all fine. But there are some other facts that we haven't been recognizing. There's not just the fact that the, the, the table originated in the past from this block of wood. There's also somehow the fact that the table is originating from this block of wood. You say, wait a second, how could, how could that be? There, there isn't, it is not originating. It's not originating anymore. <laughs> the table is here, it was already made. So how can there be this present tense fact that it is originating? And they say, well, you know, there is. It's just kind of not. It's not part of this this domain of facts that you're looking at here. But it, but there is that fact out there, um, in another fragment of reality, so to speak. 
Okay, who knows whether you can make sense of this idea, but if you can, then this would be a way to argue that this yeah. fact about origination is active. It's active. Uh, it's just as real as the facts, the fact that I'm talking to you now, um, but it's in this other fragment, whatever that means. Um, um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think this view is, is very interesting, but uh, there's a real question as to whether it, <laughs> right. it, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. You've been very patient. This is obviously not my area. And so I, yeah, I really appreciate you uh, talking uh, through this with me today. Um, oh, well, that's really kinda, funny. Yeah. Kind of as we wrap up here, what is, uh, what's one thing you would leave as a takeaway for our audience? I, th I think um, this, uh, the issue about, um, it's, it's something that's already come up in this conversation, these facts about uh, who one is as a person. Um, I think this is really worth thinking about more. I think that it, it, there, there hasn't been uh, much work done on it in, in philosophy, actually, and it does seem to be something that's, um, I mean, it's it's very connected to the idea of essence, even though I think maybe it's not quite the same. Um, but it's sort of like you can, it's not hard to get the feeling, you know, if you spend a lot of time working on essence and, the, the, you know, you start to think about the essence of, of persons, you feel like you're sort of leaving out some, some of the things that we wanted to know the most or it's the things that are the most important. Like, yeah, maybe like the, the particular uh, or my, my origins are essential to me and like that I'm a human being or something like that. But, but aren't there sort of all these other things that are in some sense core to me um, that don't go into, that don't count as part of my essence in this sense? Seems like we ought to be able to have a theory of those things too. And how would that, the question of like spelling that out and, and what the connections between that concept and the concept of this other concept of essence would be, I think is, is something worth thinking about. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Glacier, it's been, a, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it.